This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Today is Thursday, September 2nd. I'm very excited to be previewing the NFC South today as we continue our division previews. And to help me do that, my good friend ESPN's Mina Kimes. Mina, how you doing? I'm good. The NFC South. Anyone can win, except not really. That's kind of the, the vibe we had as we were talking about this. The TLDR version of it would just be, the Bucks are going to win, and we don't really have to talk about the rest of it. Which seems correct, but I do think there's a lot to dig into with some of these other teams. I don't know how good they'll be, but I do know there's, there's a lot to chew on with pretty much every other team in this division. Yeah, there's definitely things I want to watch. Like you had yes. me like write down X factors and players and the process of doing that, you know, it, it's a reminder. Oh, right. There's really exciting units and players on all of these teams, even if the Bucks are like a near flawless football team with zero holes. <laughs> so let's start with the Bucks and let's Do get it. into that. Let's get into it. This is the best team in the NFL that brought back every relevant piece from its championship roster. It's and ridiculous. you can make a real argument that they are better now than they even were at the end of last season. I can't remember a scenario like this. Every single team that wins a Super Bowl typically has to make some sort of concession because the cap comes for them, because guys are hitting free agency. They have to do something where they sacrifice an area of the roster because it's just necessary. And the Bucs didn't have to do that. When you look at it top to bottom, it's just absolutely ridiculous. I cannot remember a situation like this. I can't either. And... I think, you know, this summer was like the summer of quarterback discontent, right? With Rodgers and Wilson and, every, and everyone was talking about the Bucks. Like these guys watched Brady in the Super Bowl and they said, I want that. But I think that's actually the wrong way of thinking about the Bucks because Brady joined a team that was already very good. And yes. they added, um, you know, a couple players, like obviously Gronk, unique situation, Antonio Brown, unique situation. Uh, and then they had a bunch of young players who got better and good coaches. But really what they should be, and by they I mean like stars, should be looking at is the Bucks' approach to this offseason, which is to go all in in a way that will be painful. Like at some point, like the Band-Aid is going to be ripped oh, in a couple of years. As soon as next year. Yeah, right. When you look at the 22-2022 cap, it's going to happen. But they did everything they had to do to bring this team back. And if I'm a quarterback like an Aaron Rodgers or whatever, that's what I want, what Brady got this summer from this front office. Just the input he had in seemingly every decision that was made down the stretch last year and how willing they were to go all in. People are paying attention to that. But you look at it, and now we have the same roster as last year. Every relevant piece is back. Joe Tryon is their first-round pick. He looks like a real guy. All the reviews of him from camp and then what we've seen from him in the preseason, he looks incredible. Antonio Brown is set to play a full season healthy this year as their third receiver. Vitavea missed most of last year. I know you're a big, big Vitavea supporter over there. And I just don't understand why this team won't be better. Let's, let's put it this way. I don't understand why this team won't be the team we saw down the stretch instead of the team we saw over the first 12 weeks of the season. And that should terrify people. Yeah, there's no reason. There's no reason. Like, the only two things you can come up with are Brady getting old. By the way, he looked sensational in his limited preseason outing, so that's not, you know, happening or you shouldn't bet on it. Or um, injuries. And I think, you know, if you just look around, like, the different position groups and try to find the areas where they might be a little bit thin or vulnerable, you can nitpick and 
try to come up with stuff, but then you get performances like what we've seen from Joe Tryon Shoyinka, I think it's now Shoyinka, yeah. Shoyinka, yeah. yeah. Who, by the way, I'm a UW fan. He was not this good in college. Like, I don't, I'm just, Vita Vea was very good, but anyways, and you could look at this team, you say, okay, maybe edge rusher is an area where like if Shaq Barrett or JPP were to go down, that might be with an injury, that would be a problem. And then all of a sudden you got this rookie looking like, you know, the second coming of whatever. And it's really, really hard to find problems. Offensive tackle might be a concern. They didn't really have the finances or the draft capital to supplement that position in the offseason. They picked Robert Hainsby in the third round as an heir apparent to Ryan Jensen at center. So their offensive tackle depth at some spots maybe. And then like the fourth corner and the third safety. But these are the most ridiculous problems. These aren't real problems. Well, uh, fourth corner is interesting, by the way. Or, right, it's really third corner. For, I, what I was thinking of, because yesterday we were looking already ahead TV guys to Bucks Cowboys and um, <laughs> we were trying to we were just raising the question we meaning NFL Live the show I'm on okay well what can the Cowboys do and I said well the Cowboys should do what they should do every week which is throw the shit out of the ball to the three incredible wide receivers and that is the one area where they and maybe some other teams have an edge against this team which is uh, if you had to find a weakness on this roster it'd be Sean Murphy Bunting the third corner who played really well down the stretch to the point where I think people forget that he did have some ups and downs earlier in the season. Uh, and I think that's something where like a, a really strong aerial attack like Dallas could potentially attack this Bucks team. I think the secondary is where I look first. It, outside of injuries, right? This team led the lead or had the lowest adjusted games lost in the entire NFL last season. There was a bigger gap between them and the Rams than there was between the Rams and the team in eighth place. I mean, that's how much healthier they were than any other team in the league last year. So you'd assume they'll have more injuries to deal with. But other than that, if they were to stay relatively healthy, I think the secondary is the most fragile position group. We had the best version of guys like Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean down the stretch, but it's been a little bit more up and down than that. On offense, what do you think is the most important tweak you saw them make after the bye last year? Yeah, it was a few things. Um... All of the things everybody was whining about them not doing the first 12 weeks of the season, you know, the absence of preset motion, the lack of play action, they just started doing. Um, I think you saw also, certainly in the Super Bowl, how efficient they were throwing to the tight ends to Gronk. And, oh, right, now you get freaking O.J. Howard back. Great. Just great. Um, And that's borne out in the numbers. I don't have them in front of me, but I'm pretty sure when they were in 12 or 13 personnel, they had the highest EPA per play of, like, any team on earth. Uh, So I think, I imagine you're going to see more of those concepts since they were so successful with them at the end of the season. You look at the numbers, they were 19th in play action rate after the week 14 bye. That may not seem like it's that high, but he uh, Brady averaged 10.7 yards per attempt. It was the fifth highest mark in the league. But then you look at it before the bye, they were 36th in so play action weird. rate. At yeah. It's so strange. And I've, I mean, there's always been a disconnect. In, in the conversations I've had with Bruce Arians over the years, he's always been someone that espouses the virtues of play action and then never runs it as often as you think he might based on how much they like to attack down the field. And he told me when I was there, it was a conscious choice to use it more often after the bye. When they sat down and said, what do we need to do? They purposely said, we need to use more play action in order to just create more shots down the field. And you saw it. I mean, this offense, 
is created to get big chunks. Brady led the league in air yards per target, which at age 43 is absolutely ridiculous. But that's just one more way for them to create explosive plays. And if they go with the same formula we saw last year, I just don't understand a path to defense is stopping this team. Cool. All right. So I'll see you next year after they win the Super Bowl. Is that... No, no. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I mentioned Howard. I think like the Gio Bernard signing, sneaky fun. Again, a piece that was missing last year. Like if you had to design like a Fewer targets for Ronald the, Jones is probably better, right? Probably a good thing. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's not fun to say like, well, the health is the thing that might do them in. But the fact that they like we've seen this play on the NFL before. It is very... Uh, unlikely to sustain that level of health relative to the rest of the league over the course of several seasons. And you talked about the fragility of the secondary. Um, yeah, I, I think like if you were to lose, uh, even though they do have some depth on the offensive line, everybody's seen the, the splits with Brady when he is and isn't pressured. It's not a secret. <laughs> um, it's just very hard. This is a team that uses a ton of max protect and they've got a ton of guys who are all, have all gotten better too, by the way. Um, and then like, you know, last year, Tristan Norris was a rookie and was incredible. I mean, I it's just, yeah, yeah. That's, to me, the one area. Like, I, the, the Bucks are, like, have one of the deepest wide receiver groups ever. And they can lose any of them. I, I That sounds callous. Because I don't mean it that way. they can play with two receivers. It's if they, insane. If they, want, if they lose one of the wide receivers, they just play more 12 personnel, and they play with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, or Mike Evans and Antonio Brown. It's just, it's a level of depth and security that no other team yes. in the league has. But the offensive so, line and, is where I would say that might not be the case. Definitely. And then you go to the defense, and I think both you and I were very optimistic about what this defense could look like last year because of the gains they made in 2019. You look at what they were in the last couple of years of the Dirk Cutter era, they were a disaster. They were an abject disaster on defense. They were the worst defense in the league. They were so much better in year one under Todd Bowles. And then in year two, it felt like it was an absolute mic drop from Todd Bowles down the stretch. I mean, what they were doing defensively and just how hard they were to prepare for him, they were a buzzsaw by the end of the season. And again, they bring back every relevant piece from that group and I don't know if they can be quite as good again we just know it defense isn't as sticky year to year as offense is but it still feels like they have the makings of a top 10 unit at the very least no question yeah we're like right now we probably have them both top three I mean I I, I do I, yeah. I don't know about you but um it, it, it's remarkable you talked about Havea not playing last year or we talk about like the possibility of losing one of the outside linebackers the fact that they have depth, not just like, okay, you have got, you know, uh, Joe Tryon, Shoyinka, this young player, but some of the defensive tackles who came in and played and contributed for them, Nunez Rochez, like when, when Vea was out, um, it's, it's two coming back. Like it, it's remarkable. And notably, it's, it's given it, Todd Bull, like it gives him such a arsenal of, players to deploy in different ways because what you also saw down the stretch was different a a real versatility on defense like he put on a real coaching master class master class rather and the final few games of the season and it's a defense that can beat a bunch of different kinds of teams a bunch of different kinds of ways they blitzed a lot less down the stretch. If you look at some of the numbers, it was yeah. like 29% of the time during the playoffs compared to 39% of the time during the regular season. And 
it's an interesting balance because they want, as Nate says, to create edginess in the pocket for people because they are a negative play defense. Think about the ways that Devin White and yeah. Levante David played, TFL, sacks. But they have this amazing combination of being able to play like that with that aggressiveness and also not give up explosive plays. And then in, in the end of the season when they're playing all these different types of coverages and not blitzing as much, it just feels like they can beat you in so many different fashions. And that's what's scary about them. David is a guy I think they can't afford to lose. You just said his name and that just popped yeah. into my head because of the coverage ability, um, you know, which vis-a-vis Devin White, who is more of the heat-seeking missile. I think if they were to lose him, and you know, safety is not the strength. I, I, I love Winfield Jr. as much as everyone else, but I think the middle of the field would... We're talking about like in hypotheticals where like multiple guys are going down, but that would be a, a place where I think they could have some vulnerability. He's been healthy, remarkably healthy for most of his career. I mean, I think one of my favorite parts about this team being good is a bigger spotlight on Levante David because he's just been one of the best defense players in the league for the last decade. And now people noticing that is really enjoyable for me. I feel like you and I are enough online where we start, you start to see the same tropes like, um, (laughs) and one of them is that, you know, Levante David is better than Devin White. I feel like that's an NFL nerd trope where like NFL nerds get annoyed whenever people say uh, Devin White is one of the best wide or, uh, linebackers in the NFL. And you all like, you know, the nerds immediately latch on and say, actually, he's not even the best linebacker. <laughs> he's not linebacker group. But, I, but it is it has been really cool to see him get some shine. So I think one of the things I really enjoyed while digging into this a little bit, every, you just stumble upon these facts. It's like, oh, I didn't really think about that. Did you know that the Josh Allen trade is how the Bucks got Vitavea and Carlton Davis? They traded back from 7 to 12, and Veo is 12, and then one of the second-round picks that they got in that trade is what they used to get Carlton Davis. Just And it goes back to that idea that this team was really well-built before Brady got there. The job that Jason Light did in the post Roberto Aguayo draft and how they <laughs> built this team is incredibly impressive. And I think we just forget that and just how methodically and patiently and well done the team building process here was before they dropped the Brady piece into it. Fascinating. You'd think my worst take from that year would have been trashing the Josh Allen pick, but it was actually trashing the Vita Vea pick because I, I thought they should have taken Derwin James, which defensible, actually relative. But um, I because that was 16, right? I think and James went 17 to the Chargers, if I remember. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, they uh, yeah, they might have. I think they traded down twice. You're right. I just remember being so horrified when the Bucks didn't take Derwin James, being like, what the hell are you doing? Like, the NFL, this is... And, I, and again, I was a huge Vea fan in college, but I was like, a nose tackle over Derwin James? How dare you? And that has not aged well. Although, it, again, James is obviously incredible and amazing, but the saying that Vita Vea was not worth that pick was a bad take. I was on the exact same train, and <laughs> I regret it deeply. I'm very embarrassed about it. We're sorry. It was fun. It's fun when you, sometimes on the outside looking in, you have these assumptions about what teams were trying to do and what their motivations were. And when they just had all those dice rolls on defensive backs, remember they picked Jamel Dean, yeah. they picked Carlton Davis, they picked M. Day Stewart. Some of them didn't work out, some of them did. But my thought was, man, they just spammed that position because they had screwed it up so many times that they felt like they need to. And I was down there this summer and I asked someone in their front office, like, did you guys just spam corner? for two straight years because you felt like you needed to solve it in some way. They're like, yeah, that's exactly what we did. It's like, oh, good. I'm glad that my outside assumptions every once in a while are correct because in this case, it worked for them very well. 
somewhere a tear rolls down Mike Zimmer's cheek here in this. <laughs> but yeah, it, sometimes it doesn't work, guys. But yeah, it definitely has worked in their case. All right. Who is one guy on the Bucks that you cannot wait to watch this season? I wrote Chris Godwin, and here's why. I When the Brady signing happened, my reaction was, oh my God, if you built a receiver in a lab for Tom Brady, it would be Chris yeah. Godwin. And then he had this kind of nightmarish beginning of the season. You remember the hamstring issue, yeah. which is always concussion over concussion. So I just feel like Bro- broke we a never finger got... too, I want to say. I mean, oh, it was a lot yes, of stuff. Yes, he did break a finger. I remember the play on which it happened. So it, it, it feels like we never got to see the real Godwin Brady connection. And I think this is <laughs> just horrifying. I know it's also horrifying. I'm so sorry to everyone. Um, but yeah, I, I think Chris Godwin is going to eat. I would love that. I, w- I mean, it's again, the Great idea player. that is just terrifying proposition for everybody, but the best version of Chris Godwin in this offense is another reason this team might be better. Mine is Tristan worse just because a guy coming in as a first round pick and being an all pro right tackle where he can go from here. It is fascinating to me. He was so fun to watch as a rookie. Just such a refined game already combined with just otherworldly athleticism, like rare, rare physical gifts. What he does in year two is definitely going to be worth watching. All right. Your biggest X factor on the Bucks. So this kind of cuts to uh, what we were talking about in terms of fragility. I picked Donovan Smith, uh, mm-hmm. who is interesting. Like he... he is a player who has is a lot better now than he was as a rookie. Uh, but I also think Tom Brady obviously makes his offensive lineman look better. Um, but he is a guy... I, I, it's not that I don't have... I, I, he's not at that... I don't even know where I would put him in, in, in like tiers of left tackles. He, maybe like in the second or third kind of range. I think that's totally fair. Like middle of the road. When I'm thinking about X factors of this team, I'm thinking like, what is going to stop the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from getting back to the Super Bowl and winning? And I think it's if Donovan Smith takes a step back or gets hurt, but mostly if he takes a step back, given what we know about Tom Brady and the it, to me, like that's the only thing where you, like you take out the black out of the Jenga tower and it could send the whole thing come crumbling down. I did the version of that on defense, and it's one of those two corners, Carlton Davis, Jamal Dean, whoever may fall off if teams can consistently take advantage of that. Because again, I do think that's one of the more fragile areas of the roster. They've been up and down a little bit. They got hot at the end of the season, but if there's another stretch where they struggle, is that going to be what does this defense in? Because again, it's so hard to sustain defensive success in the way that this team has over the last couple of years. All right, let's get to the New Orleans Saints. It is time for the Jameis Winston experiment in New Orleans. Did any part of you think that Taysom Hill would ever win this job? Yeah, because Sean Payton's there. Like, I mean, yeah, you can't say no because it's like his dad coaches the team, metaphorically. <laughs> like, you can't rule the guy out. I mean, you hear the way he talks about him? <laughs> and the contract I, they gave him? I understand all of that. It just felt yeah. like it was never going to be that way. Well, like, well even it should. They, <laughs> if you'd asked me should, I would say no, but yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> I just never believed that they would end training camp and end the offseason thinking that Taysom Hill was a better NFL quarterback than Jameis Winston for whatever reservations you had about Jameis Winston. And I think that we've gotten there. And now I really do think it sets up as a fascinating football experiment because you have a guy who has been fantastic in stretches. I mean, you look at yards per play, some of the efficiency metrics. I want to say Sam Monson was talking about it earlier this week, saying that 
like 98% of his plays have been positively graded. It was one of the highest rates in the league. And then he also has the highest percentage of negative graded plays since he came into the NFL. He just lives at both of the poles. Mm. And can he get closer? If those negative plays decrease by half, what does Jameis Winston look like? And I don't know if Sean Payton wields that power, but that's what I want to see. Yeah, I think that it's funny coming off of the Bucks discussion, right? Because we talked about the team that Brady walked into, which was the team that Jameis Winston left. And it was weird because that final season, he was just such the worst version of himself, yeah. I think. But if you go back like a couple seasons before, he was better, but the Bucks' defense and offensive line were worse and, and skill players at, at, at beginning. So it's kind of like, okay, which guy are you getting? Are you getting 2019 Jameis Winston? Because if that's the case... It doesn't matter how good the Saints' offensive line is or how good their defense is, which we'll talk about. This guy's going to put them in such a terrible position and commit too many of those negative plays. But if you get like an earlier version of himself on the streaks when he played better, um, the upside is tremendous. And and it's hard to know without being there and I guess knowing... It's an experiment, as you said, that you have to kind of see play out. Like, we saw him in the preseason. He looked great. He looked incredibly comfortable. Um, obviously, the final game was where he won the job. But, you know, it's different when live bullets are flying. Like, the old J- Jameis, Jason got it, will, could potentially come back. To me, it's also a mystery about what this offense is going to look like. Because yeah. Jameis Winston, since he came into the league, has averaged 10.51 air yards per attempt. It's the highest mark in the league by a f- more than a full yard. It's He is in his own territory. 41 quarterbacks qualify. Jameis Winston is number one. 41st is Drew Brees. There are no two quarterbacks further apart in how aggressive they've been over the last five years than the Saints quarterback from last year and the Saints quarterback that's about to start this year. I have no idea at one point in the middle of those polls they meet. Yeah, even when Drew Brees was airing it out a little bit more, it was nothing. It wasn't like, you know, what Arians did with Jameis. So again, it's that's the mystery. Like you said, it's going to be like, okay, well, is there going to be like a meeting in the middle? Obviously, it's going to look a lot more like the mid 2000 Saints offense or mid 2010, whatever, than the last five years. There's no question about that. But we don't know if, especially with Michael Thomas out the first six games, how, like, like what is the run game going to look like? How is Alvin Kamara going to be deployed? I really have no idea, like, at this point, um, just because we haven't seen it. Watching it in the preseason, and based on some of the, I've talked to a lot of people recently about the Chargers offense and what it might look like. And everyone I've talked about this, vividly remember the conversation I had with Luke McCown recently, where he was telling me all the things they used to have within the Saints offense. And he was talking about Mm. deep posts and overs, backside digs and just all these aggressive plays if you go watch like the 10 Jameis attempts against jacksonville on the monday night game that's exactly what they are every single thing he said to me is what they were running in those moments the post and over to callaway is is the touchdown and then there's a deep side a backside dig to callaway it's literally those things and brandon staley said something funny to me recently we were talking about it and he said you don't throw for five thousand yards running stick and spacing like that's not that's not what those Saints teams were. And I think that we're going to see a vastly different approach than what we've seen from the Saints over the last three or four years. How good it looks, I have no idea. 
the post and over was the first Callaway touchdown. The crazy where I when I saw it in real time, I thought it was the, PI. The pass interference one. Yeah, yeah it I was. was like, they, they threw a flag. Well, it was PI, but they were celebrating, and I was like, guys, chill. I get it. It's PI. That's great. And then I was like, oh my god, holy shit, he caught that ball. Like I, it was so perfectly placed too. And then the second one, which was the fade, uh, when that was the, just a, yeah, go it ball. was a yeah. all out. Um, Blitz, Jameis looked... That's one of the best throws I've ever seen him make, frankly. It's just, you know, step, step, boom. And I honestly, like, I could not believe how comfortable and poised he looked. Like, throughout that entire game, he looked, like, so unfrantic. And and to go back to, again, like, which Jameis are we going to get... That's something I don't remember ever feeling watching him in Tampa. Like, there were so many games where you could just kind of see the desperation <laughs> and I think in this we're, we're talking about a preseason performance this is kind of ridiculous to some extent but if we're trying to predict what kind of quarterback this guy will be I think it's very telling I also think I might be drinking way too much of the Marquez Calloway Kool-Aid because I'm talking about him like it doesn't matter that Michael Thomas is gone and he is immediately in number one I like this dude was undrafted and maybe had like 200 yards last year he looks freaking awesome, but like I probably have to pump the brakes a little. Not on this show, you don't. <laughs> I think you could just tell sometimes with receivers. Sometimes Dude. when I watch a guy, every once in a while, it's like you know he just has it, and it's not like he was making those plays against some third string guys. He burned yes. Shaq Griffin yes. on that touchdown catch. Yes, and it was CX, Tyson my Campbell. My group chat blew up by the way. When that <laughs> Danny Kelly and I were exchanging a lot of messages. It was just that the subtleties of his hands on that play where he's creating that late separation. I mean, just little tiny receiver things at a high yes. level where you look at it, it's like he has the frame. Maybe he's not a burner, but you don't need to run a 4-4 to be a, a top flight receiver in the NFL. I'm all in. I'm completely with you. He was getting out I, underneath too. Like the highlights were the two touchdowns, but he was running underneath stuff as well and separate. I Yeah, Marcus Callaway. We're, we're, let's, let's do it. Marcus Callaway tattoos. The one thing I will say, and the other part of this, and again, having lots of conversations about the Saints recently, is just talking about how Breeze did everything with the offense. He literally handled every single thing. He did every single protection, every single check. Nothing was put on the offensive line when it came to that stuff. He handled every detail in a way that most quarterbacks do not. How does that change? What do we see from their offensive line now that Eric McCoy has to handle some of that stuff? The fact that they're not put in the best position on every single play. And I think those are the hidden benefits of having a Drew Brees, even if he's not at the peak of his powers as a passer. So what does the Saints offense look like when you remove that from the equation? That's the other thing I want to see, and there's really no way to know until we see it in practice. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that's the strength of this team is the offensive line and... Yet, you know, I think sometimes like offensive line play. I mean, they they looked good when Taysom was in, when and Teddy was in, when when Drew Brees were out, and the line was healthy. But, um, you know, I, like I was just talking about how Tom Brady made the Bucks' offensive line look better after Jameis left. Well, it, could the Saints' offensive line potentially work look worse, right, with Jameis instead of Drew Brees? And as you said, they do have a lot more responsibility with him out too. Um, that's the unit you feel that's the that's the group you feel the best about on that side of the football though for obvious reasons. Oh, they might be the best in the league. And they yeah. I think they absolutely have a chance to be the best offensive line in the league again. The problem is, even if you feel good about the offensive line and even if you're optimistic about what Jameis can look like, the bill has come due for this team in any every other way. Like we're so used to the Saints having the yeah. most well-rounded deepest roster in the NFL. That's just not true anymore. No team yeah. in the league was less prepared 
for the cap to fall off a cliff than the Saints were. They were just betting on this year-over-year growth in a way that didn't happen. So now they're carrying $36 million in dead cap in a year where the cap is at $185 million, and they have no depth. And there are glaring, glaring holes. Even if we're excited about Marquez Callaway, they don't have any other receivers. Marquez Callaway is an undrafted guy who might have to be their number one. And then on the other side, when he gets healthy, maybe it's Traquan Smith until Michael Thomas comes back. And I still don't know who their number two corner is. Opposite Marcus Lattimore. Or Marshawn Lattimore. Gonna, yeah, with the Bucks, who are like, oh, wow, Joe Tryon's good. Maybe he'll play like, you know, t- 10 snaps and make a difference. Like, I have Paulson Adebo bookmark. Like, they need him to be good immediately. And there's a That's few- always what you want with a third round corner. Yeah, it's right, like, we need yeah. him to be good right now. There's a few guys like that on this roster. I mean, Peyton Turner, like, I- Marcus Davenport looked awesome in the preseason. And <laughs> I think, yeah, he looked really good. But <laughs> he was destroying um, people. I mean, Turner goes from being like, uh, you know, who who cares? Like, whatever. I mean, again, in the previous iterations of the Saints to like, oh, no, they actually probably like that's a player they want to, do, to need to do something this year. Especially with the questions they have on the interior of the defensive line. Yeah. I mean, if they want to say move Jordan inside on some packages, do the same thing with Marcus Davenport and bring Turner in. I mean. Anyamata missing the first six games. We're we're down to like shy Tuttle. I mean, it's a real concern for who's going to play on the inside. And those issues are all over this roster. They're just not nearly as deep. And I think it raises questions about what this team really is this year. Just because it's the Saints and just because it's Sean Payton, are we maybe being a little bit too optimistic about this potentially being a double-digit win team? Or are they closer to, I don't know, a 7-9 and team, a 7-10 and team? I think we're putting, I mean, there's a lot of faith in the coaching staff on both sides of the ball. Like Dennis Allen has been quietly really, really good for a few years now. Um, They did lose Aaron Glenn. I I mentioned this on my podcast to Detroit, who I hear only the best things about, who's their DB's coach now. He's uh, there, but... um, I had an extended conversation with him when I went to Detroit because for that exact reason, I just, I've heard heard, heard such great things about him and I wanted to pick his brain about a couple things and... He had a lot of interesting things to say just about the, their philosophy down there and kind of the shift to more too high coverages that they'd used over the last couple of years, what CJ Gardner Johnson was for them and just kind of the role he played in all those hybrid safety spots. He was as impressive as I wanted him to be before that conversation. That's, I, that's my return. They're, they're really deep at linebacker. I will say like um, Zach Bond is the guy whose name I was writing down a bunch and who we didn't, I don't think, God, I don't even remember noticing him last year. I don't remember how much he played, but, so he was a, a third round, second or third round pick last year, right? Second um, round pick, yeah. Out of Wisconsin. He's kind of like a tweener for those who haven't, didn't watch him in college. Oh, no, third round and, pick, third round pick. Third round pick, okay. And I barely, I if he played, I barely remember, frankly. I know he had some injuries last year, uh, but he looks like he could do some fun stuff, especially on their blitz packages this year. And the combination of him, Demario Davis, they brought back Alexander, and then they drafted Pete Werner, which is a pick I didn't love. But again, depth, that's an area of strength on this defense. It's one of the few areas of depth on this defense because if, if it's not Paulson, <laughs> Paulson Adebo, then it's Ken Crawley, who is somehow Ken back Crawley. in our lives. Just throwback jams on the Saints defense these days. <gasps> do you know who the new defensive backs coach on this team is? Chris Richard, right? Chris Richard. Yeah. Talking yeah. about throwback jams. I know. I don't think that means it's going to be the cover three. I feel like sometimes, you know, like y- you see a coach coming from a system 
and there's an assumption. Okay, well, if, first of all, he's not the defensive coordinator, so we should throw that out there. But um, I mean, he was the corners in Seattle loved that guy. I'll tell you that, and only spoke highly of his ability to teach. And God, he's going to do a lot. Have to do a lot of teaching uh, in the, with this DB group. So we'll see how that works out. I'll be curious if they play a little less aggressive man coverage with that big yeah. question on the other side. Because they played a ton of man last year. I mean, they were an aggressive defense. They played more two-man than a lot of teams in the NFL do. Can they afford to be that aggressive on defense if they have serious questions at their other corner spot? Or do they back off a little bit and do we see a slightly different version of them? Again, it's something we can't know until we actually see it. Yeah. I mean, I will say this. Just kind of put it on my mind. Like, so the, watching the Jameis game. <laughs> That, that Jack's game. The That's James what it is game. now. It's just the Jameis game. It, it really is. It's like his best football play game ever. Um, I, I, I was kind of reminded of how many stars they do have on defense. They have no depth, but the two Marcuses both leaped off the screen to me. Davenport and Williams, who I think is very solid uh, and is on the tag this year, if I remember correctly. Uh, so yeah, they Other teams did not expect him to be back. I was okay. talking to somebody recently that was really hoping to take a run at him in free agency. And they were shocked that the Saints were able to afford him on the franchise tag. The, good for them. So he made a couple plays. And then, of course, the C.J. Gardner-Johnson is one of the best slot corners in the NFL. So, and, and he made a couple plays, too. And I was like, oh, right. They still have, like... And then, of course, Demario Davis, too. One of the best cover linebackers in the league. Like, they have stars on defense. They just don't have anyone behind those stars and cannot afford to lose any of them ever all right who is the one guy on the saints that you cannot wait to watch this year i wrote cj garner johnson such a trolley pick um did you see him he's complaining awesome. about the new taunting I know, rules I, that's why that's why i wrote it because i just i i know the taunty thing is not going to be as big of a thing as it is in the preseason like every real change but like he is the true like the best troll in the nfl the man has incited not only two opponents to punch him but also i believe michael thomas to punch him once in practice i just they, they showed him on the screen at one point in the jazz game and his uh mouth guard was just dangling and you could see him talking but he wasn't like that and i was like i would pay an extra 50 dollars a game to hear what he is saying to get punched so much and he's a really good player i feel like this overshadows the fact that he's like an incredible cornerback he does everything for them. Aaron Glenn was talking about it, just how many different things he could do for you and how important that specific type of position is in the modern NFL, where you have that safety, you can play a slot corner, he can blitz, and he can just torment people, which that's that may be his best trait. So the great. Michael Thomas thing, just speaking of, we, we should mention him a little bit. If he gets back by week six and Marcus Callaway can play the way that we think he can, maybe this offense is going to be okay Like by midseason. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking myself into that a little bit too much. But I think Marcus Callaway, Michael Thomas, an 80% good version of Jameis, this offensive line, and Alvin Kamara, you can convince me that offense can be really good. Totally. Totally. If he looks anything like he did in preseason week three against the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're going <laughs> to light the NFL out. All right. My guy is Marcus Davenport. What he's been doing to people, I, again, it's preseason, all of the necessary caveats. What he's doing to people, like NFL players in the preseason, oh God, he was embarrassing people, like left oh. and right. He looks amazing. This is unfair because he's a rookie, but what he did to Walker Little, I had to like look away from the screen. <laughs> I mean, just oh 
it looks like high school tape where it's a guy that's three years older than everybody else that's yeah. a D1 prospect playing against a bunch of guys who are going to be accountants in 10 years. It, it's been absurd. Yeah. He's got like go-go gadget arms too. They he seem really to does. get longer on every <laughs> I love him. He's a great player. All right. Biggest X factor in your mind on the Saints. I just wrote Lattimore because as you and I discussed, they don't have any outside corner depth. And... He's been so erratic. I mean, after such a great start to his NFL career, you've, you've watched this guy, you know, first-round draft pick. He's just been so up and down, and they cannot afford any downs on this defense from him in particular. They should just convince him he's playing against Mike Evans every single game. Somehow, somebody should just get in his ear and be like, you're actually playing them again. Just brainwash <laughs> him into thinking that, because that would be the best version of him all the time. I just think it has to be Jameis. I mean, I yeah. that's not an interesting pick, but... He could just go so many different directions. I have zero idea what to expect. Any outcome is on the table for me. I think that's fair. I think that the Saints are one of the highest variance teams in football this year. I think that's totally right. Speaking of high variance, let's get to the Carolina Panthers and Sam Darnold. When you were prepping for this, when we were prepping for this, you excitedly told me that you'd been crushing Darnold tape. What are your main takeaways? That I, I just want to be clear to the listeners, I was being sarcastic. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's no sarcasm font in the Twitter DMs. Um, no, I, I was excited to see him, his debut in the preseason, because yeah. we hadn't seen him. I actually was, I was really excited to talk to you about this, because I haven't talked to any. I did my NFC South preview before he played, and it, <laughs> it, I feel like um, it, it, reviews are just have been so mixed. It's kind of confusing. Like, I actually, I kind of hit up a few people. I was like, what do you think? And... The people who like him were like, yeah, he looks good. And the people who didn't like him were like, oh, I'm still seeing the problems. And I think that's going to be the case all year, frankly. Um, So I'll just tell you what I thought. So this was against Pittsburgh. First of all, you saw a couple of near catastrophic mistakes, which reminded me of the Jets. He had a throw that should have been a pick, threw into traffic near the end zone, just boneheaded decision. And then he had uh, he was almost strip sacked, um, held on to the football way too long. And that's those are things that swing NFL games. And he also, I, I thought at times, had the happy feet. By the way, Steve Smith Sr. was calling this game. It was just dogging him so I was hard. really I enjoying it. it I loved it I was it so really much. enjoying it. I but, went back and I watched the replay in preparation okay, for this podcast. Yeah. Delightful. But you also saw some of the things that, as a Panthers fans, could get you maybe not excited, but at least optimistic that you're going to get a better version of him. Both, I would say, schematically, a couple of things that they did in particular with uh, the rookie, Terrace Marshall Jr., mm-hmm. uh, who looks great. We can talk about him. But also just a couple of throws that Sam Darnold is capable of making because he's got a really, really good arm and and were thrown on time with anticipation. So I, I, I for me, it was like a real mixed grade. And I don't think... I, I'm not coming away from that one preseason performance feeling like we're getting a new revived different Sam Darnold but I'm also not coming away from it thinking he's the same guy we saw with the Jets it was a real Rorschach test you could see whatever you want in that performance (laughs) because there were certain plays that you can talk yourself into okay this is why they wanted to do this there are a couple that stick out to me that quick hitch he threw to DJ Moore on the right side it's a simple play but they're playing man coverage the Steelers are and he that ball is out really fast, like before Moore is even out of his break, because he trusts him to be open. And if you look at some of the stats last year, he was abysmal against man coverage. He was also abysmal against zone, but they were truly terrible against man with the Jets because no one was ever open. 
He took the most sacks in the league against Matt Coverage last year by a lot when you consider the total number of sacks. And now having guys that can win in those situations and trusting that your guys can win, that really helps you as a quarterback. It changes your wiring and when you feel good letting go of the ball. So that play was a really good example. Then there was a third down where they had a bunch set to the left with the three receivers. And then Robbie Anderson ran a little cross, shallow yeah. cross over to the right side. And he just hit him late in the down. It's like, I this is exactly how this is going to come open. This is how this has been communicated to me. I'm going to hit my guy. We're going to keep on playing. And that is why the Panthers went and got him. Because they trusted their receiving talent and the scheme to just allow him to play. To kind of drill down and say, Sam, you don't need to do everything. Just trust in what we're telling you and trust that this stuff is going to be there for you. You don't have to be a hero all the time. And if you want to believe that, those are the couple plays where you can. And then if you want to believe the other side of it, that he is just at his core, not that guy, then there are the couple plays that you talked about. And there's really no way to know what the percentage of those is going to be, like you said, when the bullets start flying. I should say, for those who didn't watch Strip sack really undersells what he did, which was try to throw the ball as he was being pulled down. Yes, was it? yes. It was a very old it. Sam Darnold play. Like, no, watching it at home. <laughs> and, and that's why I'm a little bit anxious about this because you're right. They, they got him because they trust their scheme and they trust the receiving talent. But the problem on this football team isn't the scheme or the receiving talent. It's the offensive line, uh, which is going to play. <sighs> Fortunately, they get to play the Jets week one. Uh, and if Darnold doesn't look good in that game, Good night. Uh, with all due respect to the Jets' defensive line, Sands, Carl Lawson. But it, uh, after that, it's a real uphill battle for this group. I mean, it's just so unresolved outside of Taylor Moten. How did you feel? I want to talk about the offensive line, but before we get to that, I, I'm curious. How did you feel about the Darnold move when it happened? Just the process of how the Panthers got here? Um, I didn't love it. And I am someone who has been pretty defensive of Darnold earlier in his career. Like, I truly believe he was, um, you know, I don't think he's a victim of his circumstances. I think he's a flawed quarterback, and I really liked him coming out of college. But I also think his NFL career arc might be one of those things where if you're in those circumstances for three-plus years, it's very, very hard to steer the ship around. Is that the metaphor? Anyways, to change directions. And... I also didn't love it because of where the Camp Panthers were picking in the draft, knowing how I felt about the quarterback prospects. Um, and now uh, that we're here and we've seen those quarterback prospects in action, I really don't love it. Uh, and, I, and all five, by the way, all five of them, uh, which is a whole separate conversation about the quarterbacks. But I can't imagine it's felt good as a Carolina fan. I understand from an organizational perspective, like they feel like this wasn't a huge investment. You know, we're rebuilding team. Let's see what we got. But you only have so many shots at this kind of quarterbacking group. And I just don't see how you can see what, you know, the likes of Fields and Jones who were taken later are doing and not be disappointed. It felt like they kind of outsmarted themselves a little bit where they thought we can make a trade for this guy who's 23 years old and we can pay not a lot to get him and we can go get our corner in the top 10. That's what they they loved the corners. They loved Horn and they loved Sertan. They liked Horn's makeup a little bit more. They just felt like his competitiveness and the way he approached the position. That's why they landed on him. And in their minds, if we can get a potential franchise quarterback who's twenty three and a top ten cornerback, that's a better scenario than us picking a quarterback in the top ten. 
And I think that that fails to realize that if you don't figure out the quarterback, then who your cornerbacks are don't matter. And I love J.C. Horn. He's my, well, I don't want to skip ahead guy I'm excited to watch, but I I love him. I just, I love Patrick Sertan, too. We could be having this exact same conversation about Denver. I mean, who got the quarterback that they sent away. But, yeah, it, it's it's tough. I, like, if, if this team, let's just, as a thought experiment, just focusing on the offense, if they had Justin Fields right now, how would your view of them be different? I think they could be like a top 10 offense. I mean, they, they already have all, most of the pieces in place yeah. outside of the line, yeah, like, which yeah, that but, is but still he, the... He can, he can compensate for that, unlike Sam. Well, yeah. So you look at the line, and that to me is as puzzling as the Darnold move. And I, under, I understand how you get to the Darnold trade. I, mm-hmm. Even if I don't agree with the thinking, I, I comprehend it. How you decide that Pat Alfine and Cam Irving as your starting left side of the line is the way to go with this. Their claim is that they didn't have a ton of resources. They had to kind of skimp on it. The offensive line coach liked both of these guys. That's fine. But you had some resources. You didn't have to spend $8 million on Hassan Reddick when you didn't have a left side of the offensive line. But that's what they did. And I just can't understand how you can go into this year feeling good about it. And even whatever solutions there might be, let's say they think Deontay Brown and Brady Christensen are good players that eventually will slide in for them. Christensen's more of a right tackle. Like it just, I don't understand how they're going to get a five. They feel good about based on the moves they made this off season. They also made them like at the very beginning of <laughs> like day two of free agency. So weird. Um, yeah, it's, it's not great. And it's, it, and again, it's, it, I, I, I really think like, Offensive line and quarterback, you have to look at together. And this is a situation where, given our conversation about Darnold, like his weaknesses and the things that bring out um, problems with his play, if the the rehabilitation project is centered on the notion of like, okay, let's using scheme and having these receivers who are a very talented group that I think you and I both like, if we can put him in situations where he's just operating in structure, getting the ball quickly, making the throws that he's capable of that you describe you know, that shallow grass to Robbie Anderson, that, that they're going to go to that well a lot. That's great. But if he's doing it under duress constantly, I mean, can he really accomplish any of those things? And I, that's a, the perfect day. Yeah, this is exactly right. And I think that their thought would be if we get five guys out in the route and we give him options, all that, Dan Arnold's not standing to block anybody. You know, that's not what the approach is going to be. They're going to lean on this receiving talent. And I am excited about the receiving talent because I do think that Terrace Marshall looks like a real guy. And the combination of him, DJ Moore, and Robbie Anderson and just all the different things they can do, that's enough to get excited about. But if Sam Darnold's playing on his back the entire season, then I don't know how much that does for you. And that's my concern at this point. They let David Moore walk, by the way. The other Moore from Seattle. He was a a decent player. And and Seattle used him a lot on, like, you know, jet motions and... And also, as he, by the way, he made he like exclusively made insane downfield catches. Like I don't know if you remember that with Russell Wilson. I but, definitely um, do. Yeah, but, but uh, Marshall, like I liked him in college. I was kind of a little. I had some question marks, but watching him in the preseason, I think it was like a tunnel screen. Maybe was the touchdown. I can't remember exactly, but I was really it was. impressed. They're manufacturing touches for him in a really fun way. He, he looks like a grown dude, like out there and. It is th- that trio and I think Joe Brady's ability to scheme them open, but also use them the way they should be used, you know, unlike, yeah, I, I think it's, it's very exciting 
it uh, like you said just got to get in the football i don't really know what to make of this defense because even if we're excited about jc horn the rest of the secondary is a question to me like what they're going to do at safety i mean this is the second year of this defensive rebuild and i still don't know what this defense is supposed to be i don't know if you can explain it to me well, I talked to our mutual friend, Steven Ruiz, who's a Panthers fan, about the secondary and the horn pick. And I said, I was like, I, I understand his great traits, but he's a press man corner. And this was the zone heaviest team in the NFL. Like, yep. what's Phil Snow's the defensive coordinator? I didn't know a lot about him going into last year. And Ruiz, I thought, made a good point, which is he said, well, that's, you know, they had different personnel. Like, he's, he said, that's because of the corners they had. I think they probably made this pick. He said it a lot more negatively than me, but he said they probably made this pick um, <laughs> knowing that they need to be able to play man on third down, which made a ton of sense. I think this is a team that's invested so heavily in the front seven with the youth movement. And I think those investments, some of them look really good early. Obviously, Brian Burns is NFL Twitter's darling right now. But, um, you know, they, Jeremy Chin is a playmaker, but outside of him... There's not, they're not, there's not anyone else they're building around. So they figured they can build around Horn. And that made sense to me. I get that. But if they're going to, they played a ton of dime last year and they were one of the teams that used three man rushes at the highest rates in the NFL. So if you're going to do that and you're going to really lean on your back seven and try to play a bunch of DVs on the field at the same time, even dropping Horn in there, I guess the combination is Horn, Dante Jackson, AJ Boye when he gets back and they're going to play Chin more at safety and maybe Jermaine Carter is going to play a little bit more. But when you look at some of these teams that are playing these tight fronts where they have those three guys, and I can see that, right? Derek Brown, Daquan yeah. Jones, Morgan Fox, who came from the Rams and did a lot of that stuff. You play those three with Brian Burns, and then Reddit comes in in pass rush situations. I get all that. But the point of that is to deploy more resources on the back end, and I just right. don't know who the bodies are supposed to be on the back end. They didn't do anything. They didn't add anybody outside of Horn in free agency or whatever. They lost Trey Boston, and they're just rolling with the guys that they have. Maybe they like those guys, but it's been a little bit confusing to me. Yeah, the Reddick deal is kind of kind of weird. I mean, I know he's coming off this career season. I think most people, what was it, like 12, 12 sacks or something? Something very clearly unsustainable with like a not commensurate amount of hurries and hits. Um, but, you know, they, they, they have... Gross Matos, who was hurt, banged up last year. I think they're hoping to get more of a pass rush this season uh, from Derek Brown than they did last year based on his profile in college. And it just feels like eh, some of these resources maybe could have been deployed on the back end, um, like we've been talking about. But we'll On the see. back end and then on the offensive line. Two places yeah. I expected them to spend and they did not spend outside of the horn pick. And we'll see what happens. Their pass rush could be really good. I get the plan of having two benders on the outside with Reddick and Burns and then having pocket pushers with Jones and Brown. That's what they're going to try to do, but I just don't know if the back end can hold up if that group isn't truly dominant. All right. One guy you cannot wait to watch <laughs> on the Carolina Panthers this year. I'm going to go with Horn. Like I like I said, that there have mixed feelings about the pick for them just because it's the quarterback thing, but from what I saw in the preseason and what I remember from watching him in college, he's like one of the most fun cornerbacks to watch. Maybe not... It, it, not, I don't think I'm not ready to say he's like better than Sertan or going to be an all pro or whatever, but like if a cornerback can be entertaining, he is it. 
His play style is entertaining. I think it's going to be very hot and cold as a rookie. I think we're going to see a lot of flags thrown his way over the first half of the year, but it's going to be fun to watch. He's going to try to push people around in a way that few corners do, and I do think they're going to play more man as a result of him being there. So that's a good one. I- I'm going with Brian Burns just because I have to. It's like contractually an obligation on this show <laughs> for me to mention how excited I am about Brian Burns. I do think that he might be one of like the next guys in the league. If you just yeah. think about what he looked like in certain aspects of his game last year, if he can develop an ability to play straight down the middle of guys and play with a little bit more power, he looks everything bigger. else in his bag, he does. And yeah, that was the looks, next thing, right? Big. Can he put on 10 more pounds and just really scare people with that strength? I was at O-Line Masterminds in July, and they were showing his tape up on the screen and talking about him a little bit, and that was the book on him. It was that if you just play him for power – and don't let him beat you around the edge, there's nothing he can do. There's no counterpunch he can throw yet. But if he gets it, he's going to be scary in the way that Von Miller became scary. And I think that might be the, this might be the year where that happens. All right. Biggest X factor on the Panthers for you. I'm going to go with the same one that you have in this case and say it's Cam Irving. Because if Irving can play at an above average level, then you've got the, both tackle positions locked down. And then I think... You, then the Sam Darnold rehabilitation project actually has a chance. If he can't, if he falls below that average line, I don't think it does. It's the same conversation we're having about Donovan Smith. If he can be in the Donovan Smith tier of tackles this year, good. what Solid. does that mean? Yes, serviceable. Like We can work with this guy. What does that mean for the Panthers offense? And that's why I have him. Because if you can get to that level of left tackle play, it can change everything for you as an offense. I don't know if he can get there, but I do know that it would be huge if he did. All right, let's get to the Atlanta Falcons, a team that you and I have talked about a decent amount over the last six months or so as we've tried to figure out what they were trying to do, what they were trying to accomplish. I still don't know the answer. I don't know what the Falcons are trying to be in 2021, and that makes it difficult to preview their season. That's a great way to put it. It, I think they're in a different category from... Carolina and Denver, if we're looking at, again, which teams could have drafted of these rookie quarterbacks in past, I put what well, Denver's in the box where like they're a piece away. And it's like, you didn't really didn't want the piece, you know? <laughs> Carolina's in the box where like you're rebuilding clearly. So it's like, why not take a swing? Atlanta's in, you know, the Scooby Doo box where. On one hand, they actually have a good quarterback. I still believe Matt Ryan's a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great, like, top five or even eight quarterback anymore, but he is firmly in that, to me, eight to 12 range. Um, so you can kind of justify it until you look at the defense, and then you just suddenly can't justify it anymore, and you're like, what the hell are you doing? Like, I don't, I, I, like there's a reason why you didn't take the quarterback, but then when you think about the timeline of this team and whether they're competitive, the, the Kyle Pitts pick suddenly gets very confusing. It feels like they needed to make the Matt Ryan salary conversion just to field an NFL team. If you look at it, even after trading for Julio, trading Julio Jones, they have like a million dollars in cap space. So if you're going to commit to Matt Ryan for this year and potentially next year, are you picking Kyle Pitts just to try to assemble a team of good football players? Like I understand it's a win now pick in some ways, but also like you just need a guy who's going to be on the roster for the next 10 years if you can find one. So I don't know. I I understand how they landed on it. I just don't know what this offense is going to look like and what it's supposed to look like. Like, I'm excited about Arthur Smith. I think Arthur Smith is a really good offensive coach. 
But what, how they're going to deploy these guys, I think, is a huge question. Like, what does the offensive line look like? Is Kyle Pitts a receiver that happens to play tight end a little bit? Are we going to see him and Hayden Hurst and Lee Smith on the field together? Is Russell Gage an outside receiver? Is Kyle Pitts their second receiver in what we would call 12 personnel sets? All of these are questions. I have no idea what the answers are because Kyle Pitts played two snaps in the preseason, and we saw Felipe Franks and Josh Rosen for the last three weeks. Yep, they were sick, <laughs> the two snaps. <laughs> that was like the 27-yard uh, uh uh, he, I don't know how many of those yards were after the catch, but I was like, "Holy shit, <laughs> this I mean, dude!" Um, the I can I can the best case scenario for this offense, I think, is that the Arthur Smith of it all kind of covers up the offensive line, which is clearly the problem, and a you know mediocre, with all due respect to Mike Mike Davis, running back, which is a thing that this scheme has done for other teams in the past. But as far as what, what you're describing, which is as my dog barks, which means I got a delivery, as far as the um deployment of the skill players goes i agree it's unclear because it is so different from tennessee and yeah arthur smith obviously they used a lot of the principles that matt lafleur brought to tennessee a couple years ago we've talked about this on our new play caller show a couple weeks ago with nate arthur smith comes from very different places like he's a mike malarkey guy and i think they carried over a lot of that stuff in tennessee but by the end they were doing so many different things like all the duo they were running and all of the heavy personnel packages they were running and my understanding is that based on when I was down there and the conversations I had, they wanted people by the end of the preseason to think they were going to do the same stuff they did in Tennessee. It could look vastly different. I think there would be some elements that are the same. I think some of the straight back play action stuff that we saw does fit Matt Ryan's skill set really well. He's comfortable doing it based on his time with Kyle Shanahan. I assume they'll sprinkle some of that in, but that offense was filtered so through the personnel in Tennessee and what this personnel looks like is so different, I just imagine it'll look like a different sort of offense. I don't know how different, but I think it'll be surprising to some people. The second running back is uh, Patterson. I just realized that. I totally <laughs> forgot. I, was, I have the depth chart in front of me. Uh, Cordero Patterson, who I, I just watched the game where he had to play um, running back. I think Montgomery, I don't know if it was COVID or a concussion or something. It was against the um, Vikings maybe it was the bears vikings it's the one where nick Foles got injured and eventually lost his job to mitch trubisky anyways oh is it the, was, the monday night game yeah i think it was the yeah, yeah yeah Patterson was yeah the it was it was a great one i was like poor yeah yeah don't ask me why i was re-watching this but um yeah it, it, it is interesting by the way that the falcons um did not either draft or i, I wasn't surprised they didn't sign a free agent running back like a more expensive one than davis but i was a little bit surprised that they didn't spend a draft pick on one but i also think that speaks to what i was saying earlier about kind of arthur smith's general approach to this offense and in combination with terry Fontenot, like what he thinks he needs to cook i'm wondering what the offense will look like with the offensive line just personnel because josh andrew no idea he was supposed to be their left guard. He just broke his hand. So he's now going on IR. I don't know if that means that Jalen Mayfield is going to get those snaps. And if he does, Caleb McGarry is just the right tackle, which he was he was better last year, but it's still not a solution. And that's kind of why I wouldn't be surprised to see Lee Smith on the field a lot just to have an extra body in pass protection because that's what informed a lot of the decisions they made in Tennessee last year. They lost their starting tackles 
and they had to use a ton of help. So are they going to have to do that? Like, the, I just have so many questions with no answers right now because we have no hints as yeah. to what it's going to look like. Caleb McGarry like just started practicing again too, right? Like he's obviously was he was yep. hurt. Like I don't know. Drew Dahlman uh, is a bit of up and down preseason. I there's just outside of Matthews and Lindstrom question marks across the offensive. I mean that's the problem with the offenses. Yeah, I feel like that's a theme. I feel like that's been every team. But well, no, I guess not really the Bucks. We were trying to come up with problems, and the Saints is great. So just the Panthers and the Falcons, but um, similar in some ways, except for that Matt Ryan is a lot better on defense it's a hilarious group of players like i i really don't even know where to start this is the perfect group to just let dean pease do whatever he's gonna do just let dean pease cook is all i want to see out of this defense this year he said i I don't have the quote in front of me everyone's gonna blitz pressure's coming from everywhere uh it's 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 incredible it is the ultimate like one last job, but why did you choose this job? Aside from his <laughs> son working there, I guess. But I I think, okay, so, yeah. Obviously, outside of Grady Jarrett, massive, massive. Like, I don't even know. I, I, I don't know who's going to rush the passer. Uh, I think the I think the answer is everybody. Everybody. The linebackers, I think. So, you've got Dante Fowler, who restructured his contract, and obviously is disappointing. Wow, shocker. Who could have seen that coming after playing with Aaron Donald? But um, I think the linebackers that they've got, particularly Jones and Ola Kuhn, whose name I hope I'm saying wrong, I think those are two players who Pease can really do a lot with. Um, just pure athleticism. Just pure athleticism, both really, really explosive. And it's funny. There's a little bit of a, the offense has good pieces, but this is another a unit where you're kind of just hoping you get boost from coaching. I think that it's going to throw the kitchen sink at teams all the time. They were doing it in the preseason where they're running just the, all of these Sicko. crazy presser packages. I was talking to an offensive coordinator a few weeks ago, and we were just talking about like big picture trend stuff. And he was saying that he puts defenses into three different buckets in terms of their philosophies. Stop the run, which is essentially what that Seattle defense started with. Stop the pass, which is what a lot of these two high defenses are going to. And pressures and sacks. Just fuck shit up is a general <laughs> philosophy. This Dean P's approach with this group of players might be the, the purest distillation of the fuck shit up defensive philosophy right. you could possibly deploy. Are you telling me this secondary isn't built to stop the pass, Robert? <laughs> <laughs> Signing Deron Harmon as a stopgap safety is the ultimate. We just need a guy. Yeah, like yeah. Deron he Harmon is, and Eric right, Harris. Yes, he is totally that player. Oh, okay, former Patriot, pretty good, solid. I know who he is. I've seen him play in football games. Totally, Harmon and Harris. That's so true. That's what they're doing. That is all they're doing on defense, and we will figure it out next year as we try to rebuild this entire team. Is it going to be Moreau opposite AJ Terrell? I actually don't know the answer to that. It's okay that you don't. Hey, I want to tell you, it's okay that you don't know the answer to that, Robert. That is okay. I think my final point, just to wrap up the Falcons, is an idea. If Matt Ryan and Arthur Smith weren't here, I would just assume this team was going to win like four games and they were going to be in the midst of this very deep rebuild that we see after teams go all in and it doesn't work. But because they've had to kind of split the difference with Matt Ryan's contract and because Arthur Smith is there with Calvin Ridley and Pitts and 
it's just such a hard team to figure out. Like their offense legitimately could be, I don't know, a top 12 unit just based on the guys they have at the center of it. And then the defense is going to be such a disaster. I, I have zero feel for what they're going to actually look like when it all shakes out. Well, if they had Julio, they could be a top five, six offense. Um, the offensive is, line again, is the only thing that gives me pause about that. Yeah, that was yeah my that's only fair. Thing. But that's, I think, again, why this team is so perplexing because that trade, obviously the trade happened. He wanted out. There was financial considerations. So we're not second guessing the team there because it's inevitability. But it's like one side of the ball is too good to tank. The other side is, I mean, this is probably one of ready. It's tank ready. (laughs) So what do you do? Um, has coaches we like on both sides of the ball but it's you can't feel great about the lack of a unified direction and it's it and i'm it, it's not their fault they, i mean they walked into this for the most part i mean even like you said at the beginning like i we can quibble with the decision not to take a quarterback but financially it was very challenging to move on from Matt Ryan even if they didn't give him the extension and restructure um I was confused at first that they were moving on from Julio and doing that but once it became clear that Julio wanted out I was like okay well you know it's what can you do you can't force a guy to want to play for you so I it's 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 I think as a Falcons fan, what you hope for from this season to try to like end it on a positive note is that Kyle Pitts looks like the unicorn that everyone thinks he's going to be Arthur Smith looks is does things as well with this offense as he did in Tennessee. And by the way, Matt Ryan has not gotten to play with an offensive minded head coach since, you know, for a while now. So I think that you see enough fun things from the offense and then maybe like one or two guys on like that Terrell and Richie Grant safety they drafted look like starting, you know, caliber players. I think that's what you're hoping for from this team. I think that's totally fair. And that's what I come back to with Pitts, where it's just at the end of the year, do we have Ridley and Pitts as foundational pieces on offense? Can we find a couple guys on defense? And do we bite the huge financial bullet next spring, move on from Ryan, take a huge dead money hit, and start this rebuild in earnest? Like That's, I think, the, the path here, is that you try to assemble as many building blocks as you can over the course of the season, feel good about your coaching staff being the stewards of this and then figure out what you have to do in 2022. How many games you win over the course of that? I don't know, but I agree that the offense is probably too good for them to tank. So this could be a seven and 10 team that probably doesn't want to be seven and 10 based on all the changes they need to make. Seven and 10. Seven wins used to be like not that bad, but now it's bad. I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. You know, I'm getting better about it. I'm getting better about it. The fact that I got seven and ten on the first try, I feel pretty good about. Amazing. All right. I was like, no, okay. One guy you cannot wait to watch on the Falcons this year. I think there's only one answer. It's Deron Harmon. No, I'm just kidding. It's Kyle Pitts. Yeah, <laughs> obviously Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts. Oh my God, that one play. One play. He had two snaps, and one of them was incredible. I there's no there's been nobody like him, right? There's been nobody yeah. like him to come into the league in so long, and that's why I assume he'll be used in a way that nobody else is used. Maybe I'm giving Arthur Smith too much credit, but I really don't think I am. I really think Arthur Smith is as good at this as we think he might be, and that's why I cannot wait to watch Kyle Pitts. All right, hundred percent. Biggest X factor on the Falcons for you. Hmm. 
Hmm, yours is probably the right answer. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go in a different direction for you. I'm gonna say Dante Fowler. Um, okay. Because if he is better than he was last year, we we know Grady Jarrett who he is. Then suddenly you like so the question you have with this defense is can they be league average and. I don't, th- I mean, it's like we, we just spent the last 15 minutes shitting all over them. So I feel like now I sound like a ma- major hypocrite. But if those two young players I named both look good and Terrell had the inconsistent season, but you saw some flashes of, you know, a decent play. And I like the linebacking group. And if Fowler actually can be disruptive next to Jarrett, maybe not the guy he was next to Aaron Donald, suddenly you have the markings of a league average defense. So I'll go, I'll go Fowler. I think that's totally fair. And mine's Caleb McGarry, kind of in a similar way to choosing Cam Irving, where if the other tackle can just be serviceable over the course of the year, the offense has a chance to be really good. I mean, if that offensive line can hold up and Pitts is just a unicorn from day one, they might just be really good on offense. It's not crazy to think about. And again, a team at this stage of their trajectory being really good at something is strange, but that's the position that the Falcons have put themselves in. All right. Mina, thank you very much for doing this. I know you're an incredibly busy person, especially this time of year. So appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. And thank you guys for listening. Always appreciate it. Tomorrow we have Mike Sando doing the NFC West. I have long connected Mike Sando to the NFC West since he was covering the NFC West for the old division sites on ESPN.com. So very excited to dig into that with Mike. Appreciate you guys listening. Please Rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I sincerely appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. We had full breakdowns of every single 53-man roster. Like the amount of information that is coming out on the site every single day at this time of year, I cannot recommend it enough. You cannot be an NFL fan without a subscription to the show or to the site, athletic.com slash football show. Please go check it out. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you guys for listening. Talk to you soon. This was the Athletic Football Show.